If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. We're going to take a little bit of a... Um, Okay, all right, sorry. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a diversion out of the Gospel of uh, Luke that we've been studying, and we're going to be in Matthew 21, so um, head that direction if you would. We'll be in Matthew 21, and we will start in verse 1. And as you know, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, or Easter Sunday, as, as we commonly call it. And, um, and so that makes today Palm Sunday. And today I want us to look at the meaning behind some of the elements in Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, uh, as you read the Gospels, one of the things that you'll notice is that there are a lot of similarities between all four of them, and that shouldn't be a big surprise because they all talk about Jesus. That's, that's who they focus on, and so it shouldn't be a surprise that, um, that they all have similar stories, similar accounts of His life. But one of the things you'll also notice is there are some differences between them. And so, um, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they, they tend to focus on and tell many of the same accounts. They have the same accounts, many of the same teachings and things like that. Uh, John is a little bit different than the others, but uh, very few of the instances and very few of the teachings are in all four Gospels. This account is one of the ones that is in all four Gospels. And, and part of the reason for that is because each writer wants to highlight a different aspect of what Jesus is doing, what he's teaching. And so this is an event that was evidently very, uh, very important, very impactful on the original disciples. And so what I want us to do is I want us to, and, and not only is it impactful, it's clearly a symbolic action. Because when you look at what Jesus does and all the events that surround his entrance into Jerusalem, it's, uh, it's, it's clearly meant to, to convey something to those who saw it live, so to speak, and to those of us in now the 21st century. So if you found Matthew chapter 21, please stand if you're able. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read Jesus' triumphal entry. It says, When they, that's Jesus and his disciples, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will, you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, in Galilee. Thank you. May be seated. <clears throat> now, the first thing that I want you to see in our text today is the meaning of the procession. The meaning of the procession. Now, this is in verses one to five, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna reread those things because we just got through doing it. But but the procession that I want to focus on, the part of the procession, is in verses one to five. Now, you know that up until this point, Jesus has been making waves in the area of Jerusalem. And so, so Jesus had been going out, he'd been doing teachings, he'd been doing healings, he'd been doing some amazing things, and people were excited about Jesus. They were, in, they, they were enthralled with this man, this, this, this prophet from Galilee, and, and he was doing some amazing things. And people, at, at one point at least, 
tried to make him king. But Jesus would have none of it. In fact, many times he would, he would perform a miracle. And what would he say to the person? Don't tell anybody. You, you, you go and show yourself to the priest, but don't go telling people. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. And part of the reason was so that people would not try to short-circuit uh, God's plan in, in trying to make him king. But even when they did, of course, God's in control and, and, and he would have none of it. And this was his appointed time. And so Jesus comes in and he is presenting himself to, to the nation of Israel as her rightful king, as the Messiah. And one of the most striking things about this whole event is the procession. Now, if you'll notice, Jesus sends two disciples as he is, he's approaching Jerusalem. He sends two disciples out to this certain city to find some donkeys. And he says, you're going to find a donkey and her colt and bring him to me. And, and he's going to ride the younger of the two. He's going to ride the colt, the one that's never been ridden before. Now, before we move on, we need to kind of slow down. We need to shift, shift gears a little bit and, and put it in a lower gear and, and, and look at what it is that the Bible is telling us here. Why did Jesus send for an animal to ride on? Because think, this is the only time in Scripture that we have Jesus riding any animal. And so when we see something different out of the ordinary happening, it should, it should cause us to, to, to slow down and, and pay extra close attention. What I want you to see here is the importance isn't just in the animal. It's not just that he rode an animal, but specifically the kind of animal that it was. Now, the, one of the reasons it's so meaningful and important is mentioned in Matthew's gospel. Why does he stay right there at the beginning in verse 4? He says, all this happened to fulfill prophecy. See, many years prior, God had inspired, and, and there's actually a, a, a combined quotations from Isaiah and Zechariah, and there's a, a prophecy that's given that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey. So what Jesus is doing here is a symbolic act that's, that's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And what this is doing is like a, a great big flashing sign. A great big arrow that's pointing at Jesus saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one. Pay attention to him. Now I want to pause here because many, many uh, critics of Christianity will object at this point. That's no surprise, right? What they'll do is they'll look at some of the details and they'll say, oh, see, there's contradictions. And, and their objection here is really twofold. One objection they have is on the number of donkeys that came. The second objection they have is, um, and, and we'll just I'll talk about this one at this point. Matthew says, how many donkeys came to Jesus? No, look what it says, Two found a, a donkey and its colt, and the disciples brought them, plural, both of them, to Jesus. Mark, Luke, and John all say that one donkey came to Jesus. And so what they do is they say, see, there's a contradiction. Because Matthew says there's two, the other gospel writer says there's one, therefore it's not inspired, not inerrant, and so forth. But listen, there are no contradictions at all, because if you have two, by necessity you have one, and, and what is happening here is the other gospel writers are focusing specifically on the one that Jesus wrote. It would be, it would be analogous to me saying, uh, me telling a story, and I'm talking to Bill, and I say, yeah, uh, the other day Sammy came over and we built a fence. Well, does that mean that Sammy alone came over? No, that's not saying that Danny and Michelle didn't come over too. 
I'm focusing on the main actor in the story. He built the fence and I cheered him on. Now, similarly, what's happening here, I just signed you up for some work, Sammy. Um, what's happening here, what's happening here is Mark, Luke, and John are all focusing on the one that Jesus wrote. Now, they, now if, if they would have said, one donkey came, and only one, and Matthew said any other number besides one came, then there would be a contradiction. But they just focused on the one that was in the limelight, so to speak. And so there's no contradiction there. Their other objection here is focused on verse 7, and ironically, the number of donkeys that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And their objection here is on the ambiguous word, them. Because if you look in your Bible, verse 7 may or may not translate this as, they put their coats on them and Jesus, rode, uh, and Jesus sat on them and went into Jerusalem. And so the question is, how can somebody sit on two donkeys? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess if, and, and people, listen, the people that mock Christianity, here's what they'll do. They'll, they'll, they'll act like Jesus is, you know, like the trick riders at the circus, have one foot on each animal and going into town, or they'll, they'll imply or say, oh, well, Jesus may was sitting on one and leaning on the other, and, and all, these, all these silly things that, that are ridiculous sounding. And, and they focus on that word, them, and they say, well, this must, this must apply to the donkeys. But I want you to look closely at verse 7. What does it say happened just before uh, that phrase? It says, they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he said... Well, my, my Bible actually translates it on the coat, and I think that's the correct implication. He said on them. Now, if the coats are on the back of the donkey and Jesus sits on the donkey, what is he sitting on? The coats. And so I think, that's, it's, I think it's very, very simple here. Jesus is sitting on the coats, and that's what he's saying. They put their coats on, Jesus sat on it, therefore he's sitting on the coat. Went into town. Anyway, that's all kind of a, an aside, but I, I want to mention that because... People, again, people that are hostile to Christianity, they'll, they'll focus on any little thing to try and discredit the faith. But the main point of what I want you to see is that this was to fulfill prophecy. And as I said before, this is like, this is like a, a big flashing arrow that says, Messiah is here. Messiah is here. He is the only one that's, that's entered into Jerusalem like that. And he is the Messiah that was promised long ago. Another meaning of this procession is, is closely related to that, and that is that this is the time of Israel's visitation. This is the time of Israel's visitation. In other words, God promised to send a deliverer. He promised to send the Messiah, and he was fulfilling his promise according to his timetable. Now, we looked at this um, a, a couple months ago whenever we were in the earlier chapters of Luke, but you remember in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gives a very specific time frame for the Messiah to be coming. Remember that? Is he, he, he uses the term weeks, and it's talking about weeks of years. Or so so in, in that context, a week is a period of seven years. So in, in Daniel chapter 9, verses uh, 25 and 26, I believe it is, um, he says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince... There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, so a total of 69 weeks. It will be rebuilt again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And here's the key. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, 
and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel gives a prophecy. He says 483 years. I did the math for you. You're welcome. 483 years after the issuing of this decree, Messiah the prince will come and he will be cut off. What do you think that means? He'll be put to death. He will be killed. So this is that time. Jesus comes to Israel as her Messiah. We have prophecy from from Isaiah and from Zechariah pointing saying this is the Messiah. We have Daniel giving us a timetable saying this is when the Messiah is coming. This is when he's going to be cut off. And, and, and there's also a prediction of destruction in there that happened after that. And Jesus comes. He's, God is visiting his people. He visits Israel and the people reject him. Jesus predicts much the same thing. Uh, the, this, this, uh, this destruction that's going to happen after the fact when they're judged for their rejection of the king. In Luke chapter 19, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. God fulfilled his promise. He visited, visited his people. He sent the Messiah just when he said that he would, just in the way that he said that he would. The people rejected him, and they were judged. You say, when did that happen? 70 A.D. Rome, uh, the Roman army surrounds Jerusalem. Horrible things were happening during that time. They ransacked Jerusalem, tear the temple down. It's never been rebuilt. 70 A.D. Precisely what Jesus said would happen, happened. Further, this profession sh- pro- procession showed the nature of his kingship and his kingdom. Now, in southwest Missouri, we're familiar with horses. I mean, there are horses everywhere. And I don't know how there's enough people to ride them because, I mean, they're just everywhere. In the Middle East, they don't have that many horses. They didn't use them as often and as commonly as, as people in Missouri do. Usually, they would use uh, things like a, a donkey or a camel, and, and they would ride those things. If a king would use a horse or would ride a horse, it was usually associated with war. So if a king came into a city, if he came into his capital city, for instance, and he was on a horse, it was generally a war horse. It was usually in victory or he was coming in battle. But if a king came in peace, guess what he rode? A donkey. A donkey. Now Jesus was showing what his kingdom is like. He was showing he's not coming to ransack Rome. He's coming in peace. His is a kingdom of peace. What did, you remember Isaiah chapter 9? We read it every, every Christmas. And he shall be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. That is what Jesus was. So this, this procession is filled with meaning. We could dig into it more, but we'll move on. The next thing I want you to see is the meaning of the preparation. The meaning of the preparation, if you look at verses 6 through 8, the disciples bring the donkeys to Jesus. You say, well, why did they bring both? Well, probably it's a colt, not very old, probably so the mom could walk along with it. They bring him to Jesus. And, and the first thing I want you to see is, is they threw their coats on the, on the donkeys. Why did, they, why did they put coats on the donkeys? Well, it was a makeshift saddle. Remember, this, this colt, now Mark records a, a detail in Mark chapter 11 that Matthew omits, and that is this is a colt that's never been ridden before. It doesn't, it's not saying they're wearing a saddle. So this is a makeshift 
saddle they put on the donkey. And, and really, um, this is quite a contrast to the world's earthly kings, isn't it? Because whenever the king comes, the best of the best is used. There's pomp and, and, and ceremony and all these things that are happening. And here Jesus is, he's so humble, he has to sit on coats because he doesn't even have a saddle to put on the donkey. But the other reason this is so important is because the animals that were used for sacred purposes were not supposed to be used for other things prior to that. They weren't to be, uh, like if, if, you were, if you were offering up a, a, an ox, for instance, it wasn't to be one that had been hooked up with a yoke. It was to be set apart for sacred purposes. And we see that a few times in, um, in, in the Old Testament when they were to kill a, a certain heifer and, and do all these things. It would be one that was not to be used for farming and, and things like that. It was set apart. So here's this, here's this, this, this donkey that's set apart for a holy purpose, never been ridden. Jesus sits on it and rides. And I, I want you to see it's not just the animal that was prepared, but also the way as well. Look at verse 8. It says, The people paved the way with their coats. Now, at first blush, that seems pretty weird. Right? I mean, we, we see somebody coming. If I see one of you coming, I'm not taking off my coat and putting it on the ground for you. So, but but I, I want you to know it's not as foreign to us as we might think. Now, back then, what they would do culturally is they would prepare the way for the king. So, for instance, in, in 2 Kings chapter 9, Elisha goes into this room, anoints Jehu as king, and when the people find out what has happened, you know what they did? It says that they laid their coats on the stairs, on the bare steps, and they cried out, Jehu is king. We, we look at that and we say, okay, well, uh, okay, that we, we have an instance of that. But think, if you've seen any movies where it's set in ancient times, and let's say that Caesar is coming to town or a conquering army is returning back home, what do they do? They, they line the streets. They're throwing roses and, and garlands and all kinds of flowers in the way. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're identifying. They're showing we rejoice in, in you and what you've done and what you're doing. We are victorious. We are celebrating in what's happening. And, and it's a picture of joy, a picture of victory. And in today's context, the way we do it looks different, but we do the same thing. Because when celebrities, although they think they're important, they're, and that's, anyway, when celebrities show up at, a, at a, an award show where they pat each other on the back, what do they roll out? Red carpet. They don't take off their coats, they put out a red carpet. When a, when a bride is coming down the aisle, what happens right before? Petals. Flower girl. You remember, uh, maybe you've done this, but you remember used to, woman, when a woman was getting ready to cross a puddle, what was, what was it common for the man to do, or at least they said it was, take his coat off and put it over the puddle so they wouldn't get wet, right? Usually we probably just say jump it or go around. But anyway, that's what, so culturally we do similar things, it just looks a little bit different. And so what they were doing is they were saying, we are rejoicing in you. We celebrate. We are victorious. And then it's, we call it Palm Sunday because the ones that didn't take off their coats and, and put them in the way, the Bible says that they would go out and they were cutting down palm branches and laying them on the road. Now that's symbolic. In the Jewish culture, the, the waving of palm branches, that, that was associated with, with victory. 
and with success. And what these people are, are saying is, we are ecstatic, you're coming to Jerusalem. We're recognizing that you, at least we think you are, the Messiah, and we think you're going to act this way. Of course, we know that he didn't act that way. But they recognized him as Messiah. And they were doing a symbolic act. They, they were saying, we welcome you as Messiah. We believe you're going to deliver us from Rome. They welcomed him. They welcomed him with open arms, in fact. Now, the last thing I want you to see is the meaning of the proclamation. Look at verse 9. They, they cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, their words are taken directly from Psalm 118. Hosanna is a request. It's a request for intervention. It's a, it's a request for salvation or for deliverance. And so somebody might use it whenever they would beseech the king to intervene. They have an opponent. They want some intervention from the king. They have something happening. They want somebody to step in and help. And so if they were calling out to God, it would be a call for salvation or a call for deliverance. So when they call out and say, Hosanna to the son of David, they recognize that Jesus is the heir of David's throne. They recognize that he is fulfilling the, the covenant that God made with David so many years ago. They recognize that he's the Messiah, but the deliverance they sought was a bloody one. They wanted, they wanted Jesus to, to deliver them from the heavy boot of Rome. They sought a political deliverance. They wanted their own prosperous kingdom back. That's what they thought the Messiah was all about. They wanted him to be victorious in battle and to lead them in victorious battle. But Jesus didn't come to save people from Rome. He came to save people from sin. He didn't come to, to deliver people and, and give them victory over their enemies. He came to give people victory over the grave. He didn't come to destroy the works of Caesar, but to destroy the works of the devil. And the people missed what Jesus was about. He had told them over and over again. He had shown them with his actions. He was showing them in his very procession into Jerusalem. He's coming in peace, not war. And yet the people missed it. They had their own ideas. They couldn't see what Jesus was about. And less than a week later, the shouts of Hosanna had died out and they were, they were replaced with shouts of crucify him. Crucify him. And listen, that should be a warning to each and every one of us. These people missed it. Jesus was standing before them in the flesh, what does verse 11 say? In, in verse 10, enter Jerusalem. See, was stirred, saying, Who is this? Verse 11, the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. He was a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. He was God incarnate. He is the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He came to save people from their sins. And thank God for that, because if he didn't, none of us would have any hope at all. Apart from Christ, each of us is without hope in this world. Now, between our text today and our text next Sunday, there's a lot that happens. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own. He's arrested. He's crucified. And he's buried. I'm going to give you a spoiler. He's not dead. He died, but he's not there anymore. He has risen. Now, all that other stuff is terrible news. But Jesus is alive. He's conquered the grave. 
Because of him, we can have forgiveness of sins. If we will trust in him, we can be made right with God. If you have never done that, you've heard the gospel message, you've come to church, you've done all these things, all that stuff is not going to get you into heaven. That will not make us right before God. The only thing that will make us right before God is faith in Christ. It's his righteousness imputed to us. It's credited to us. We make a trade, our sinfulness for his righteousness. Our sin is wiped away. It is covered because Jesus bore the penalty of that sin on the cross. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now might be saved, hope you're saved, will be saved. And if you've never done that, today is the day to do it. Want to stand with me as musicians come? I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The first application we need to make to ourselves is whether or not we put our faith in the risen Christ. Again, it's not have you, have you gone to church? Have you taken uh, the Lord's Supper? Have you been baptized? Have you gone on a mission trip? Have you taught in Bible school? Have you done this, that, or the other? When you stand before God, the only thing that's going to matter is your relationship to Him through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give his life that we might have eternal life. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And if you have done that, you need to be thankful for that because we didn't deserve it. You know in your heart of hearts you don't deserve it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for, um, for the grace that you've shown to us. We thank you that you have, um, have condescended to step into, into time and into your creation to save rebellious sinners like us. And God, if there's anybody who's hearing me today that has never accepted Christ, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Let them become your child today. And Lord, if there's, um, if there's somebody here maybe that, um, that has a, a friend or a loved one on their heart that they know does not know Christ, I pray that you would, would hear and answer their prayers as they lift them up to you. God, we thank you that we have a, a, um, a solid faith, a faith that's not based on stories or dreams, but it's based on fact and reality and history. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.